Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thank you all for coming along. Some late entrance, almost doubled the audience size. Keep coming, folks. Uh, first of all, let me introduce myself. I am not Ken Fleming. Uh, I am David Hogg, and I'm the Vice President of Business Development for Logistics. Uh, I got a call on Friday from Ken, and he could barely speak. He was on the, the, the possibly in the edge of pneumonia, uh, but fortunately recovered. Nonetheless, he said, I need you to go and present for me this week. Uh, the good thing about that is I'm way better looking than he is, relatively. Uh, the bad news is I'm Scottish, and so you're going to have to listen really really carefully, or you won't understand what I'm saying. If you can understand me, read the slides. The slides are beautiful. So as I was getting ready to come here, I was sitting going, gosh, OK, how many people are going to be here? Am I going to be standing up to an, an empty room? Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe. We'll see how it goes. The other thing that crossed my mind was I was sitting there seriously wondering whether I should wear a sandwich board saying the end is nigh because it, last week oh, it's just kind of like a continuous flow of bad news. And if you look over the last 12 months, it's been almost like a continuous flow of bad news, especially if you work in supply chain and e-commerce. Uh, and the end is nearly nigh. I looked at my pension statement this morning, and I'm already on to plan B, buying lottery tickets. So the, you, know, you can't avoid the coronavirus thing, and I'll talk a little bit about that. So apart from a global pandemic almost, uh, I come from the UK, and uh, we have a lot of clients in Europe. We have an office in Zandam in the Netherlands, where I work from. And we, I also have the self-inflicted goal of Brexit. Uh, and if you think planning for things is difficult, try and imagine what shippers in the UK and Europe are faced with this year. Our governments are just sitting down now in March to plan how to separate entirely from Europe. And part of that process, come the 31st of December, everything that is shipped to and from the UK will be classed as international cross-border, and nobody knows anything about what the outcome is going to be, and they probably won't know up until November, early December. So if you think you're feeling you're having a hard time shipping in North America, gosh, try and trade places with your peers in Europe. The other thing that's really weird at the moment is weather. Uh, you know, if you look at the global headlines, fires in Australia and California, where I live in Northern England, it has rained. And I know you're going to England, it always rains, but really it has rained. It's hardly stopped raining for the last three months. We've had what people call a once in a lifetime flood twice in three months. Yeah, that's too many lifetimes. Uh, and I think the, you know, the, the reason I'm kind of giving that context is at the moment, very high in supply chain and planning and execution management, mind is disruption, and all of these things are having incredible levels of disruption. 
we can plan so much for what we kind of sort of anticipate will happen with disruption. But when you start to get things like coronavirus, you're going like, whoa, how, how do we actually deal and, and manage for that as a business? What, what is a good outcome in these unpredictable circumstances? Now, if you don't know, there's a couple of, I'll give you a couple of hard facts about coronavirus versus influenza. Uh, flu kills about 0.1% of the population. Coronavirus currently, they think, kills about 1%. So the mortality rate is 10 times higher. The last fact, if you extrapolate that out and it, it becomes a genuinely global pandemic, there will be between 60 and 100 million people will die. Now, that's a pretty miserable thought to start off a presentation, but just to put it into practical context, if you look at what's happening in Europe at the moment, you think about what might be happening in, in just a few weeks here. Uh, we've gone through kind of self-isolation as the first step, which has a minimal impact on everybody. Uh, business more or less keeps on happening. You get on to the next step of it, which is kind of like group isolation. So a small region, you know, God bless the poor souls stuck in ferries in the middle of somewhere. And then you get to the Italian scenario where you, you start off you know, basically isolating a third of the country and within a week it's expanded to the whole country. Those last two steps are massive and you think about what does that do for me from a work standpoint. You can't plan for it. The only thing that you can do is improve execution. And so I'm going to, in Ken's presentation, uh, he gives a perspective on the parcel shipping market. Uh, and I'm going to try and give a kind of a flavor of, you know, given these kind of disruptive things that hit the market, what represents a good place to be or an aspirational place to move to, to try and mitigate these types of challenges in the future. So Ken does an awful lot of work with market analysts, and you, what you, you might recognize something that looks eerily like a Gartner quadrant, and that's because in this area, Ken generally writes content for Gartner, and Gartner then adopts into its reports. So that's how the process works in the parcel shipping industry. The bit of context here. Parcel shipping, and the reason that it's, we kind of write things and they get adopted by analysts is that over the last couple of years, if I, I actually gave up doing this. I used to ask people to put their hands up if they had a parcel management strategy in their company. And normally you would get a forest of nothing. You know, it'd just be like nobody would have any parcel strategy. So I thought, I've seen, it's a common denominator. I'll give you my own personal context on that. Before I worked for logistics, I spent 12, 13 years working for Sterling Commerce and IBM, and I owned the WebSphere Commerce and order management product lines for Europe. And those comb that combined solution set is a very heavyweight e-commerce platform. So I've, I've got 12 years of answering requests for information and proposal, and in those proposals, nobody ever asks about parcel shipping. Uh, they're all about websites, they're all about fantastic cross-channel customer process, how to take a customer order, 
how to do sourcing of the inventory. And then there's kind of, a, a, there used to be a diagram when I was a youngster back in the 1980s where we had system flowcharts that looked incredibly complicated. And then some clever head would put a box at the end that had the picture of an ant and said, then the miracle occurs. And the miracle occurs is like parcel shipping because nobody actually ever plans. So they just assume that somebody in the supply chain department knows how to ship parcels. And whenever we ask for anything, they'll just do it. It'll be that easy. Uh, sadly, it isn't. So the domestic quadrant, this segment, is basically the lowest kind of common denominator. And it is where most companies are in parcel shipping today. It means that normally, you'll have been in a responsive mode to your e-commerce department where they've said, I need facilities to do parcel shipping. Somebody goes at the last moment, and by the way, we need it in two weeks. And you rush out and you find either a carrier that you'll do direct integration with, or you'll go and rush and find a, a nice little software package that doesn't cost very much because there's no budget to apply for it. And you'll set up to maybe three carriers if you're feeling adventurous, but quite often it's just a single carrier that you're shipping to. Uh, and these things operate in isolation. It's probably done on a facility by facility basis. There's no or limited tracking. You might get URLs that come back from the carrier that somebody might make available to the website for customers to look at. There's no analysis of what happens to the shipments. You just get big bills back from the carriers at the end of the month, and they expect you to pay them unless you have somebody in place to go through with a fine tooth comb. So that's a very rigid parcel shipping place to be. And if you think of the disruption, whether it's peak season for a retailer, where it's unpredictable what your volumes, what products are going to sell, whether it's bad weather impacts, and I do love, you know, whenever I think of bad weather, I, one of my kids got me to watch Sharknado once. And I think of bad weather as where the tornado lands and then all your employees get eaten by misplaced sharks. Uh, you've got to think of it in that kind of context. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do if that facility disappears and you actually have only c connectivity to one carrier and your other networks? I don't know. So, this is where almost everybody is. And I would tell you, in a world that's got increasing disruption, it's an uncomfortable place to be if you're the supply chain manager. If I go into the second segment, uh, given that humans are intrinsically lazy, we, we do as little as effort as possible, unless somebody comes along and says, we really want you to rethink and do things, and that very seldom happens. Let's assume you, you want to go cross-border, start shipping into Mexico or Canada, or if you've got an international business, you might do, start doing parcel shipping from some international locations. People tend to do the same thing. They will still run projects that say, then a miracle occurs and we'll do parcel shipping in two weeks at the end of it. So you get businesses that are doing your really quite complex shipping with very simplistic systems and it's even more criminal that you're an interna doing sh international shipping or operating international, and you've got no way of planning, you've got no way of measuring, you've got no way of improving the performance of that parcel shipping process. So that is generally where, yeah, I'd say probably 95% of all the people that we talk to in the parcel shipping world are. They're in those kind of two quadrants.
if I go into the third quadrant, what happens is there are some companies that are now going, okay. And I'll get, we have, we have a client that I can't mention their name at the moment, but they have you know, four different parcel shipping systems around the world. They ship big industrial spare parts, components. Every division operates independently. Even though they're using common carriers between America, Europe, and Asia Pacific, they can't actually see the performance that's happening across their warehouses as they ship internationally. And so they're an example of that kind of like 5% of people who have been thinking and changing, and they're now trying to say, let's get our head around parcel shipping because it's the fastest growing part of our logistics department you know, in terms of volume growth. The e-commerce department keeps on adding more and more business, you know, typically 15% year-on-year growth, even if they're pretty average. Uh, therefore, it's, the e-commerce world has moved from being happy just selling more, they actually want to be profitable. The financial people are saying, hold on, you've got to control your costs, you've got to manage your costs. And the e-commerce people and the CRM people are saying, we have to manage customer service levels. So you've got this push within those companies to do a couple of really kind of basic things, but they open up a whole lot of opportunity. So the first thing is they start looking at real-time tracking messages. So they are pulling data back from all the carriers, tracking, pushing those messages, measuring where they need to intervene, and then having the CRM team reach out to customers to warn them proactively where there are problems. So there's really sensible, good step forward from a customer management process. Second thing is, because we're collecting all of the data from the shipments that are happening, uh, you can start to analyze that data. And you can, so instead of just looking at parcel shipping as an executional system, it becomes part of your kind of e-commerce lifecycle management. So you can aggregate the data from the different carriers that are servicing different nodes within your supply network. It gets especially important for companies that work in the retail industry if they start doing ship from store. Suddenly you're going from maybe a handful of warehouses to potentially hundreds or a thousand plus stores that are now shipping. And you've really got to be able to measure the performance of those nodes and the carriers that are servicing them. So suddenly you've got a whole kind of BI toolkit where you can analyze to the nth degree, are, you know, are the companies shipping on time? Are they getting delivery where things aren't being damaged? Uh, there's just so many different ways that you can slice and dice parcel shipping data. That in turn allows you supply chain managers to then go back and rethink how are we operating at that node or you go back and discuss with the carriers that are servicing the node, how, do, how are they going to improve their performance if you're seeing lots of issues coming up with late deliveries or damages in those particular areas. So that is a much better place to be. If you're, even if you're a domestic shipper, uh, having that ability to manage measure, uh, way, way more comfortable place to be. It, also these systems allow you to add carriers on many, many more last mile carriers. So you're building inherently greater flexibility into the process. The final quadrant 
is literally that kind of the international extension of that. So the client I was talking about, those big and global distribution of spare parts, their goal is to be able to get a complete overview of their multinational carriers. Uh, so it's just taking the same concept, looking at it on a global basis, being able to roll up and aggregate global performance for the carriers, uh, then come up with management strategies to say how do we adapt to and help the e-commerce team sell more, meet more aggressive competitive service levels, and optimize profit so we kind of drive cost out of the supply chain. We now have the tools that allow us to replicate and model future growth. So I can take the current data that I've got and say what happens in 12 months from now if my business grows by 20% in Southeast Asia. I know that seems unlikely at the moment, but it could. Just the key thing is it's about the ability to model the future and to then use that as part of the negotiations that you have with those companies that perform the supply chain fulfillment for you. So simple and yet very profound, an enormous step. You know, if you look at segments one and two, the left-hand side of that quadrant, uh, in today's world, you know, you're only going to line up a rod for your own back if you ought to stay there. So question is, where are you today? Now, I know that most of you will be in that quadrant one or two. Where are you going to be? I would guess that most of you want to move eventually at the right time to quadrant three or four. And the, you know, the 64,000 or 64 million or billion question as it is in today's currency is, how am I going to get there? So I will tell you practically, the first thing you've got to do is learn, learn the lessons from my experience of having answered so many RFPs and actually sold and implemented many e-commerce platforms. You've got to have a much bigger engagement from the supply chain team in those processes. You've got to bring the e-commerce and the supply chain teams together and talk about service level aspirations, the growth planning, and then to explain to them, by the way, we're in this kind of nasty space of where we've got fairly rigid systems and we need budget and investment in order to transition. And then you have to do the practical things that always happen with business planning, which is prioritizing where do you do, which region do you address first? Where's your highest volume? Where will you get the maximum return on investment when you go in and start to address that particular project? But it's clearly, you know, I think that you're building flexibility in there. You're trying to optimize service levels, meet the change of aspirational improvement to service levels, and you're trying to drive cost out of the supply chain so that you're, you're keeping the financial people happy and optimizing profit. So we're going to look at, you know, where do you go looking to realize those benefits? Uh, CAG reports, it's a bit of a kind of a governmental acronym. It's controller audit general reporting, and it's taken that concept and applying it to the supply chain and parcel shipping. So there is this mountain of data that you've got to sift through in order to find out what works and what doesn't work within your business today. And then you're going to have to, once you've got that data and you've looked at it, you've got to start looking at these, the, the freight spend analysis, and that's, and that's just good old-fashioned business analysis using the desktop tools to sift through and see where 
the errors are, what causes, you know, not just operational issues where you get damages, but where, where are carriers naughty and misbehaving and overcharging you? Uh, when you talk to our shippers about what costs them most money, you'll typically hear a few things. The most common thing is, crazily, still incorrect addresses. Uh, and what happens when addresses are wrong? You get whopping accessorial charges on your carrier's invoice. Frightening. When you apply the change to something that's wrong, they'll charge you more again. So you, I'll charge you for telling you it's wrong, and when I correct it, I'll charge you more again for fixing it. They're cunning. All right. The next thing you get is classic thing that you can't really do much about, but it's important for you to measure so you can kind of budget for it, is deliveries that, where people are out and you end up getting goods brought back to the warehouse. You will get surcharges for these types of things. And then the other area that comes up frequently is packaging. And this becomes, the packaging thing becomes more of an issue if you're an industrial B2B shipper, especially if you're moving kind of things around that are a wee bit kind of dangerous, hazardous in nature. And it's not that difficult, you know, you've just got to think about things like perfume. You still got to wrap them much more carefully and have hazardous goods notes, even for something as trivial as perfume, highly flammable. So, you know, the, those kinds of things add significantly on to your kind of monthly bills you receive. So, looking at the computational and audit report, and I'll be honest, this isn't my presentation because I wouldn't have put this slide up and let, without giving you all binoculars to read it first. So, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a, the idea as to what's actually going on here. So the first thing that we do, we, we have business intelligence tools inside our software, and we'll pick a location, we'll then look at the sequence of you know, delivery regions, so typically states that, you, that are being served by that particular warehouse, and then we'll pick a time period that you want to analyze, whether it's a week, a month, a quarter, a year, and we'll establish a baseline. We'll pull in all the historical information for that period and say, here's what it costs to ship from that location. Hopefully, and amongst it, you'll also have kind of contextual data that told you what went wrong when you were shipping from that location as well. So you've got a sense of what are the accessorial charges, how many people are unhappy or re-deliveries that you had to do. Then, what you can start to do is the sort of the first bit of fun analysis, which is you can go and ask carriers for alternatives. Give me your quotes for shipping from that region, and you can start to do what if. So these slides, although they're absolutely microscopic and you can't read them, they're actually based off of real-life data. So there's a couple of case studies I'm going to walk through here. And they are actually driven from, obviously, anonymized data, but they are real-life examples. So we worked there with the customer and said, OK, if we add another, an alternative carrier on there, what does that do to your shipping costs? And it comes out green. Where you see green on the map, you know, shipping from the, that warehouse into those regions is a 
Thank you. Whoa. Is that bat, bat, bat out of hell arriving? Yeah, meatloaf. Oh, gosh. So the, the green states are where things are positive. The pink states are where things are negative on the baseline. But you can see, you know, just by doing a simple analysis, you're getting a saving there of, you know, it's like 5 7% in that kind of region. We can do this with multiple carriers and see what the outcome, the benefit is from that. Second carrier, there's a less benefit overall, but there's an upside in more of the states that you ship to. So then you get to the really fun part, which is where I merge my options together and say, okay, instead of looking at them binary, what happens if I pick the best rates and results from the combination of carriers? And, and there, real, real life example, it goes from being maybe somewhere in the region of one to five, six percent to suddenly being like 20% plus. Uh, so simply by having that ability to do the what if scenarios based on the good quality source data, I can see the power of adding flexibility into my network and what it can do in terms of uh, you know, optimizing the cost for that parcel delivery service. Now, bear in mind what I said at the beginning, that most people are in segment one and two and don't have the easy ability to do this. It's, it's pretty frightening. You know, there, there, are, there are dollars on the table to be saved simply by adding flexibility into your parcel shipping. So if I go in and look at freight spend management, so, I think back to the, what I was saying about e-commerce and the, the afterthought that is parcel shipping. I have worked personally with some global sports brands that have done a single carrier integration, direct point-to-point -point integration between the warehouse and that carrier. And what you get from that one-to-one -one peer negotiation is a fixed rate contract. No flexibility, no nothing. You get kind of like guaranteed service as long as they don't have a Sharknado, but it'll keep going. Uh, the second option is I can outsource everything and just give it to somebody else. You know, so you'll get potentially a reasonable service, but you're going to pay more money for it, and that's going to eat into your profit margins. So in the shipping industry, you've got to be pretty careful and pretty sure that you want to make that decision. Uh, finally, what most companies will opt to do you know, when they've got a reasonable you know, supply chain department, though if you give them the tools to say I can actually manage and change the outcome, let's start and look how to do that. So again, the, the, the data I'm going to show you subsequent to this slide is based off a real customer case study. Uh, what you see there is a, a kind of like a nice, simple, steady, predictable volume of parcel shipping represented by the blue line. The red line represented what that company was seeing as errors in their shipping. And those errors could, were coming from the classic things I talked about, address, incorrect, deliveries returned, packaging not correct. And so they, they undertook and said, well, you know what, that, that's a pretty big percentage of errors. You know, you're looking somewhere in the regions of 25% like of all the company's shipments 
generating some form of accessorial charge. That's a lot of money. Uh, let's look and see if we've got the tools to manage it, where should we be aiming to? And, the, and the, the aim is to try and get it down to somewhere in the kind of the, you know, around five to 10% region. So there you got simple bit of analysis. Let's look at, measure it, and say where do we want to try and get to. In order to get there, they had to pull back all the source data. So they, they had to go back to the shipping orders, where they came from, the sources, where are they working, where are they good. Uh, pull in the carrier communication records. So what happened to the orders? What came back to us in terms of the electronic invoices? Uh, and then, as an outcome, what do we want to do you know, to try and incentivize the carrier to change? It's not a simple system change. You're actually doing a business negotiation here. So it may be that you put an incentive by offering them quicker payment if you can actually drive out the errors from the, the, the shipping processes. Or uh, if they're not playing ball with you and agreeing to try and help and improve the service, you can turn around and do that kind of negative threatening, well, th there are other carriers out there. Let's do something different. So in this particular scenario, this is the real data. We, you know, there was, they were basically shipping you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars per week. A lot, a lot of money. Uh, the red line uh, represents you know, the, the level of dispute. The green line, uh, you know, the sort of intention of to improve things. So when they've been engaged with the carrier, you, you can see a kind of this, where that red line spikes. That was where the program kicked in to say, let's try and change the behavior. Let's start to challenge the accessorials and say, how do we remove and reduce those accessorial charges? And there was almost like, like in a an immediate response where you started to get a massive amount of dispute in the invoices. So that you went through a couple of months where you were basically in kind of like politely warfare with the carrier before they kind of understood what you were trying to do and work towards an equitable outcome. And then what you see over time is uh, the green line merging together, the goal and the, the practical reality. So driving the, the errors down to you know fraction of where they were, you know literally trending down towards zero, very minimal disputes. So it, it, it's kind of like a proof that if you do take on the management process, it, it, it is feasible. You have to be aware that during the process there is going to be a period where there's going to be you know genuine management strife and stress, and you're going to have to work closely with the account teams within the carrier and organizations to actually drive change through. So nothing free, but it's a, it's a good case study, real data to base from it. So when you look at that thing, you know, I was looking at the source of the shipping orders. You've got to, the data you pull, you're going to find that there's a lot of master, master data errors in amongst it. Uh, you've got to put your own house in order first because you may well be the sources on the problems that are happening. So cleansing, all that good stuff, validation of the addresses that you have for the customers, the locations that the customers have. Uh, 
no getting away from that. You need an analytical team to put that in place. Once you've gone through that data cleansing process, then you can actually look and say, okay, what can I fix in-house myself? What do I need to challenge from my carriers where they're getting things wrong, but they're still trying to charge me for getting things wrong, even though I'm now confident that I can do things right? Uh, and you've got to line up your own internal teams, your shipping teams, your accounting teams, the e-commerce team to make them aware of what's going on in the background. So it is a team sport This, you know, people are going to get upset because there will be challenges and complaints that are going to go on through the period of transition. So analyze the data, prepare the team, get them to work together and move towards that goal. As you're doing this, uh, you know, if you're doing this process for the first time, there are different places that you can turn to for assistance. You know, you can, you can turn to industry analysts, you know, get them for advice about how to go about adjusting the business process, how they think you should be managing the carrier relationships, you know, what goals do they think are realistic for you to aim for. You can also turn, there, there are very specialized consultants that operate in the field, so we work with a couple of you know, specific, real nerdy parcel shipping specialist consulting companies. Uh, a company called Intelligent Audit in Green Mountain. And they will work with you, help you to pull together the data, cleanse the data, analyze, and put in place the program of change to optimize the results. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an, obviously there's expense involved in doing that, uh, but you know if you look at the return on investment you can drive out from it. Uh, once you've done it once and you've got that kind of learning in house, you should be able to replicate it. So it's it's probably a limited in consultant engagement. Uh, the final thing is that in companies like ourselves, we, we're tr we're trying to provide you with toolkit technology that allows you to do the analysis, that allows you to manage the reports and to identify problems and the root causes of them. So the, you know, the, you know, sometimes software vendors kind of get lumped into the same bucket as lawyers and we're, in personal experience, we're, we're, we're typically nicer than lawyers. We can be more helpful and less expensive. Uh, and we, you know, it's, it's our area, we, particularly a company like ourselves, we're trying to drive significant change to the industry to kind of move everybody from that left-hand side of the quadrant over to the right. So, you know, pick and choose, try different options, but don't discount vendors just because we're kind of evil vendors. Uh, and just literally to wrap up, we've got a few minutes spare, you know, we're kind of a rarity in parcel shipping. They, most of the companies that we compete against tend to be very small, very regional in focus. Uh, we are, our headquarters are in Chicago, out in sunny rolling meadows, sunny during the summer and bloody cold during the winter. And Amsterdam, which is lovely and quite friendly, really. And because we do support multinational companies, we have an office out in Singapore, and we support, we're, we're not actively selling through the Singapore office, but we have support consultants there to manage the shipments that go through that region. Uh, and that's pretty unusual. You know, normally the companies that you're going to talk to in this particular space are 
you know, fairly domestic feeling. Uh, big push for us is to get away from simply shipping execution, which is the production of the labels and getting things out the door. Our emphasis in terms of technology is to provide the track and trace, the control tower type tools, and the business analytics intelligence to help you manage and model your future growth. Uh, I don't think you really need to know an awful lot about that. So we're a kind of mid-sized company, quite fast growing, uh, but with a very, very solid track record in the major carriers across particularly America and Europe. So uh, I hope that was reasonably useful for you, gave you kind of a different perspective on the parcel industry and what's driving change, but also give you a sense that there's genuine opportunities to do a much better job of managing your parcel shipping processes and to drive cost and customer service levels in the way that you want them to in the future. So thank you very much for coming along and taking time to listen. If you want to ask questions, you can come and huddle up the front. Oh,